0: Welcome to a brand new episode of RaiderCast, the podcast that delves into the myths and mysteries of Lara Croft's world. Today we have an exciting special guest, and this is an episode that I have wanted to make for so, so long. And it's fantastic that I'm finally getting to speak to somebody about archaeology in Tomb Raider. Today's special guest is Dr. Christopher Lohman. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I've enjoyed your channel very much. That's very kind of you to say. Welcome to the podcast. So would you please like to begin by telling us about your Raider journey? How did you get into Tomb Raider?
1: So I'm an archaeologist now partly because of... Tomb Raider introducing me to the concept that the past wasn't just about discovering dinosaurs, although of course those are in Tomb Raider too, but rather about figuring out more about how people lived in the past. Uh, I've been an active Tomb Raider player and level builder since 1999 when my family got a brand new first-generation iMac It came with a demo CD, and uh, Aspire, the Mac developer or the uh, converter for the early Tomb Raider games, had just released Tomb Raider 3, and playing that was my first real kind of adult-style video game, and I was very into dinosaurs at the time. I wanted to be a paleontologist starting when I was three, and I still love dinosaurs, but... I had begun to think that because I also liked history, was there a way to do paleontology, but for history? And I had begun reading National Geographic and getting interested in archaeology. But then here was this game that took archaeological artifacts and art and made it the core of the aesthetic for the series. And so that became something that was both a, a pastime, but I also started trying to learn more about the cultures that the game supposedly portrayed. So I read a lot about uh, Qin era China when I was playing Tomb Raider 2, or I learned more about uh, Hindu religion and mythology with the opening of Tomb Raider 3. And so it really served as a launching point while the games were fantastical and fairly old-fashioned in terms of their approach to understanding other cultures, at the same time it served
0: as kind of the the key to learning much more. That is fascinating. I mean, how dare anybody ever say that video games can't be educational, right?
1: Well I made a pitch to my parents actually, specifically for Tomb Raider 2, because they weren't really big on video games. I was, you know, allowed to play, you know, Grolliers, uh, Fine Countries and Capitals kinds of things, but they really weren't big on, on video games. They weren't big on guns. So I sat them down in the living room and I had a little, I uh, know it wasn't a slideshow. I had a stack of books about ancient China and I went through them. It's like, okay, this game is set in the tomb of the first emperor and here's the real information that i've learned about it so can you please buy it for me
0: <laughs> and they did that's wonderful that's so so cool oh my goodness me wow uh would you say that one of those first few games are still your favorite today because of what you've ended up doing
1: yes and no i i think tomb raider 3 holds a special place because it's the first one that i played particularly the South Pacific levels, are so beautiful. But at the same time, I think Tomb Raider 3 leans pretty hard into some of the worst colonial aspects of Tomb Raider, where she's not only stealing from living indigenous people's culture, but she's literally killing them. And I think that that's the the part of the game that has ended up aging most poorly when you have a, a... British aristocrat, going around the world, taking what she wants. She really becomes an anti-hero, and I think that that's an interesting character, but at the same time, as fun as the game is, I I think it's the most problematic. So if I'm showing people the game, I tend to go back to Tomb Raider 1, and sure, she's still going in and raiding tombs and killing local wildlife, but there's less of a, an emphasis on uh, living cultures and the destruction that she's wreaking wherever she goes. I think I read one review that described her as a one-woman extinction event, and I think that's pretty <laughs> accurate, unfortunately.
0: Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's such a good description. Wow, yeah, she's not a great person. I can tell this is going to be a very interesting, quite a unique episode of RaiderCast. So shall we dive into some of the games? And I think a good starting point would be to talk a little bit about some of the real-life archaeological inspirations that have maybe popped up in some of the games.
1: Definitely. I, I think that particularly in the early games, which describe her as an archeologist and use real sites and art uh, as inspiration, all those things lend the series a certain intellectual feeling and artifact-based aesthetic that makes it stand out from just an adventure game where you're running through kind of generic Uh, tombs and temples, and quite often, even if they're in completely the wrong place and time, the textures and the objects are based on real artifacts and real archaeological sites. One of the textures that has gotten a lot of attention, I've seen YouTube videos that identify it as one of the the real-life inspirations, is found in the very first level, in one of the secrets, or it goes through some hanging leaves, and all of a sudden you're presented with this magnificent wall carving. And a lot of people say that, oh, this is the the ancient Incan calendar, and it's actually not ancient, it's not Incan, and it's not a calendar. What? (laughs) It is Aztec, Mexica, so it is from Mexico. It was created in the early 1500s, And it is a sunstone, so the figure at the center is the sun. If you actually look really closely, it's sticking out its tongue like that, and the tongue is in the shape of a sacrificial knife. Uh, The real artifact was discovered in the 20th century, I believe, and uh, is on display in the uh, National Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City. It might, might have been discovered a bit earlier. I don't remember exactly when it was found, but it's one of the most famous artifacts from Mexico. But it shouldn't be showing up in the Incan city of Vilcabamba. Uh, and it's not a calendar. It depicts cosmology and eras and time cycles, but it's not like a calendar for a particular year. This isn't the only Mexican art that shows up in Peru, in Tomb Raider One. Those big statues in the city of Vilcabamba that later she somehow carts off to her mansion and they end up in the the hedge maze. Those also are not Inca. They are Toltec statues. They're from Tula in Hidalgo, Mexico. They're they're pre-Aztec. Also in the city of Vilcabamba, in one of the secret areas. There are some turquoise snakes. Or it comes up from the, the very first swimming section of the game, and you see a little row of gigantic turquoise snakes. Those are actually based on a chest ornament that's only about this big, uh, only about a few inches long, and it's made of wood decorated with turquoise. But once again, this is Mexica. This is Aztec and comes from probably the 1500s, and was looted by conquistadors and then
0: brought back to Europe. Wow. I This is blowing my mind, because I took everything at face value, and I think I've even been guilty of referring to the, the Sunstone as a, as a Maya or a, an inter, a Inca calendar as well. Um, but I mean, I, I suppose I can see why people would mistake the idea as a calendar if it does depict different eras and times. But I love the little detail that its tongue is out and in the shape of a sacrificial dagger. That's super interesting as well. Um, I've got all sorts of uh, little sort of theories running through my mind now, just based on some of that information that uh, the people who perhaps built uh, Qualipek's tomb just sort of started collecting all of these different... Things from different cultures and sort of sticking them there as though he was the precursor to everything or something like that. That's that's really cool. Is there anything else you can tell us about uh, Vilcabamba or anything else from Tomb Raider 1?
1: Sure. I uh, One of the obviously things that stands out about Tomb Raider 1 in the Greece slash Italy levels, other than their total ambiguity about where Lara is supposed to be within the game, is that you wind up with a mix of both Greek and Roman gods in St. Francis Folly, as well as Thor as a a Norse god. Uh, You have King Midas showing up as well. Uh, The tomb of either King Midas or King Gordias, his father, has actually been discovered But it's located in Turkey, not in Greece or Italy. And uh, Midas was a real ruler, although the myth about the golden touch and actually the the myth goes on. He later is a terrible judge in a liar competition between Apollo and Pan and chooses Pan, which is a really dumb choice uh, for his bad taste, he's given donkey ears. So Midas is a a recurring mythological figure. Uh, And of course, makes for probably, I would say, the most memorable death in the entire Tomb Raider series. can't think of a better one. I, I mean, getting eaten by a T-Rex is pretty good too, but uh, the real tomb has actually been the source for a modern beer. One of the artifacts discovered in the tomb was a, uh, a serving vessel that has residue of some of the beer that was drunk at Midas or Gordias' funeral feast. And the archaeologist, Patrick McGovern, who works at UPenn, teamed up with a U.S. brewery called Dogfish Head. I don't know if you've ever tried Dogfish Head, but uh, they recreated a recipe based on the, the residues found in the vessel. And it has grapes, saffron, honey. I've tried it. It tastes like a pretty good summer beer. Wow. Uh, but it's fun to know
0: the archaeological origin. That's so cool. What have they called it? Midas touch. They'd have to, I guess. That's amazing. That's so cool. Wow. It's like they resurrected an ancient drink based on it. There was something actually quite recently as well. that I saw that uh, scientists have managed to piece together what they believe Cleopatra's perfume smelt like based on a very similar thing. I think residue within jars from I'm not sure where I guess somewhere in either Egypt or Greece but yeah, that was quite recent. That's really interesting.
1: Residue analysis is a really exciting part of archaeology because we can learn not just about what people were drinking and eating or wearing, but also things like medicines. And I uh, one of the things that I think is most fascinating about residue analysis is when it makes it clear that something was reused. I'm actually an historical archaeologist. My focus in archaeology is sites that are relatively recent from just the past few hundred years even though i've worked on ancient sites as well and one of the the sites that was local to where i grew up in california was a chinatown in the 1800s in the city of san jose and one of the artifacts there a beer bottle once it was put through residue analysis was discovered to have contained oil probably cooking fat And one of the things that I talk about frequently with my students is that artifacts usually don't have just one meaning. They were used and reused and probably had multiple meanings at
0: any point in their life. Wow. (laughs) This is just like, I'm getting like goosebumps from some of this. This is so exciting. Is there anything from Tomb Raider 2 that you'd like to talk about, especially as you were talking about the, uh, the Qin Dynasty?
1: Yeah, Tomb Raider 2 really is a product of the 1990s and that they were pulling in all of these pop culture references that were quite different from the very ancient aesthetic of Tomb Raider 1. So the Emperor's Tomb is a real place. It is located in Xi'an, uh, which has an an apostrophe. Uh, And so the beginning and ending of the game are very much based on the stories that have been passed down about the tomb. Most of the tomb has never been excavated. And so the, the first emperor's actual tomb still remains very probably underneath the the burial mound where it's been located all this time. But some of the neighboring parts of the tomb complex have been excavated, sometimes accidentally. Probably the most famous example of artifacts recovered from the tomb area are the terracotta warriors. And they make a very brief appearance in the game in the Temple of Xi'an. And then you kind of get them, I think it would have been really cool if the warriors in Floating Islands had been terracotta rather than jade, but the idea that these statues come to life is partly based on the real archaeology of the the figures in that each one is individual. Each one has unique facial features and I, there there are no two that are exactly alike. Some people think that they actually represent portraits of real people, but that's hard to say for sure. What I think is more, not necessarily likely, but an equally interesting point of view about the statues is that even if they aren't specific people in features, it probably took many, many people to create them. And so what you see are the products of many individuals' hands. And so even if the the faces are idealized or fantasized, their creation still
0: represents lots of individuals from that time. Again, wow, this is incredible. What sort of thing do you think that Kor might have taken maybe from, as you say, maybe local myths about the the tomb of the, the Dragon Emperor uh, in terms of things like booby traps? Is that a thing? I have never encountered a real-life booby
1: trap. The idea that tombs are cursed does have some merit in terms of, of tomb curse inscriptions on tombs around the world. There really are tomb curses, for example, in Egypt, where people who are disturbing the tomb, if you read the, uh, read the script around the doorway, sometimes it, it will say that bad things will happen if, if you go in there. But the, the idea of curses and, and booby traps is really the product of 19th and 20th century fantasy and orientalism. The idea of the other being mysterious and guarded and something worth taking and breaking into. In terms of the the emperor's tomb itself, there are stories about the tomb being a recreation of the emperor's kingdom the first emperor of china was tremendously influential and uh, his rule was when some of the standards of chinese imperial coinage and roadways were established that then continued to be used all until the the early 20th century So when coins with the the hole in the middle can be dated back to about that time. So it's tremendously influential. And the emperor himself thought that he would live forever. There is no story that I know of about a dagger that you can plunge into your heart that will turn you into a dragon. Sorry, (laughs) that is is a myth. And Chinese dragons are actually associated with water, not with fire. So the whole epic sequence at the end, where the dragon is breathing fire, is kind of an amalgamation of a Chinese dragon shape with Western dragon ideas, Uh, but the Emperor really was after a key to immortality, and he appears to have relied partly on the consumption of mercury, I believe, to try to achieve that. I learned that while I was working at the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco when they had the terracotta warriors on exhibit there for a while in, um, in 2013. So I got to see some of the, the warriors close up and learn more about their history. Uh, of course, drinking mercury is actually not the key to immortality. In fact, it, it will kill you. And so uh, it, it had the opposite effect. But some people uh, believe that in this recreation of the emperor's kingdom in the tomb, that there were rivers made of mercury. And some of the tests that have been done on the earth around the tomb have shown very high mercury levels.
0: So it's possible... That there's some truth to that. That's super cool as well. That's really cool. Within the game, you have obviously those rooms that are full of bubbling liquid, and I've seen a lot of people say that that's lava. I always, throughout the game, you had like green stuff on the oil rig, and you had the red stuff in the Temple of Xi'an as well. And I always thought it was acid. Personally, I always thought it was acid. I did, I must confess, that I, uh, I was angling for you to go towards the Mercury route with this, because uh, I had read in the past some connection between the Temple of Xi'an and the, the real-life um, well potential for Mercury. And it did make me wonder if Kor also read about this and uh, thought, oh, we'll put some traps full of Mercury in, and, and whereas in real-life Mercury isn't that colour, But when it's in those old thermometers, it's bright red. So I wonder if that's something that they sort of joined the dots with. That's really interesting, that's very cool. Let's swiftly move on into Tomb Raider 3, and you touched upon the colonial aspects of this. Is there anything else you can talk about with that?
1: Yeah, I think Tomb Raider 3 if I if I remember my Tomb Raider history correctly originally began as a spin-off using Tomb Raider 2's engine and it was supposed to be kind of episodic so you get the adventures of Lara Croft and you see early screens of India where it's obviously Tomb Raider 1 and 2 lighting scheme uh, and she still has the uh, the old shotgun But Tomb Raider 3 really is a series of very loosely interconnected stories. But it borrows from all kinds of not only archaeological inspirations, but also urban legends. You get things like Area 51 and the Orcas and uh, the Majestic 12 crates, referencing uh, UFO researchers. Uh, The the MJ-12 written on the the crates is a reference to that. You also get things like the Masonic Temple in the, the London Underground. So you're really veering into mythology, but in this case, modern mythology. The stories that people have made up to try to explain the unexplainable, the mysterious, and I think that that's a, a fun aspect of the game. But in terms of archaeology, I think even more so than Tomb Raider 2, Tomb Raider 3 goes back to Tomb Raider 1's very specific aesthetics for objects and textures. So those skulls that you see in a uh, coastal village are taken from Chichen Itza, and the bricks, This is, I, I can't take credit for discovering this. This is someone on the Tomb Raider forums who pointed this out. But the bricks that are used in Madubu Gorge, the kind of purplish, grayish bricks, are actually distant photographs of the Maya site of Tikal, of the pyramids. Those pyramids have been used in pop culture before. They are also the stand-ins for the Masasi temples in uh, Star Wars. Oh, so in the, the Yavin 4 yeah. sequence on Star Wars, those are the same temples. So photos of those have been used as the, the textures for South Pacific because stone architecture doesn't look like that on Pacific Islands. It tends to be much lower to the ground and uh, really you know not the kind of monumental scale that the game portrays. You also have Papua New Guinea wood carvings, the the red wood and uh, yellow and black carvings that show up in the Temple of Pune. And then all kinds of things mixed together in India. The elephant reliefs that are repeated over and over and over again on the wall actually come from the the elephant terrace in Angkor Thom in Cambodia. So the, the origin of some of the textures that are used in Tomb Raider 4 in in Angkor Wat as well. Uh, one of the things I managed to track down is that repeated relief of uh, Ganesha that is used over and over in the India levels comes from uh, Dash, uh, Dashavatara Temple that uh, is a, a temple to Vishnu. And that's a, a photograph. So I know that in interviews, I... Uh, Some of the developers have talked about using art books to track down these these photos. And one of the fun things on forums and on Discord has been people rediscovering not just the origin, but the exact photographs that were
0: used to create the textures. And I I think that's a really fun aspect of level building. Was there any particular one from the first few games that basically, I don't know, made you think this particular part, this is what I want to start building Tomb Raider levels from?
1: It was the India levels, really. I played the demo that, I actually played the the Mac demo, which is in the South Pacific, rather than the, the opening level in the jungle, uh, many, many, many times. And that intrigued me. But then starting... The actual game and the ambience, the rain, the jungle sounds, the, uh, the mud, the temples, it was such an interesting combination of a natural environment, which was really the, the first time in the games that Lara was not only out of tombs, which was all over the place in, um, in Tomb Raider 2. But also, out of any kind of of human made architecture, that opening to the level you 're in a completely remote environment, and that was really inspiring from a, a purely game mechanics level. It made me want to explore and find out more and figure out how to get back to structures how to how to get back out of the jungle so that was really that was really inspiring, but I also think that The other aspect that made me excited for archaeology, not just exploration and adventure, is really in Tomb Raider 1, there are so many little details that the designers put in that remind you that these were places that people were supposed to have lived. And I think City of El going back to the beginning, is perhaps the best example of that. But you see it throughout the games. You see people's beds. You see where animal skins have been hung up and chairs knocked over. And then it's as if people just left and then they were left there. And that's something I've experienced in real archaeology. I worked at a site called Çatalhöyük in central Turkey. It's a... a Uh, neolithic site from about 9,000 years ago and it's called a proto-city was one of the first places where large numbers of people were living in a human-built environment and when I was working there we were excavating we set up uh, excavation units and carefully digging through with trowels like the one that I'm holding now they're like flat Uh, blades, rather than shovels, because they're designed to uh, very carefully scrape away the layers of soil. But while I was working there, I was scraping one of these soil layers, and all of a sudden the kind of light red soil got swept aside, and there was a dark black layer. And this was a burn layer. This is where there was an ancient hearth where someone had lit a fire. But it had been trapped underground. It had been buried probably shortly after the fire had burned. And so for just a moment, when you scrape that away, you could smell the fire. You could smell the, the scent that had been trapped in the ground. And that became one of the most memorable moments on that dig for me as an individual excavator because of just how close that got to a person in the past. And I think that when Tomb Raider is doing its best to represent archeology span and the thrill of discovering more about people in the past, it's when it focuses on people rather than when it focuses on artifacts or monuments And instead those little moments where you get reminded that Lara is supposed to be the first person inside these places for hundreds or thousands of years, but there were people there before
0: too. I got chills from everything you were just saying, literally chills down my arms from that. That is wow. I can't even begin to imagine how awesome that must have felt to actually been there and move that aside and smelt that and realize that you were the first person in a hell of a long time to have experienced that, to have smelt that particular thing. That's amazing. And like you said, it ties in so cool with the idea that Lara is supposed to be one of the first person in these locations as well. With that in mind, how do some of Lara's experiences in-game actually compare to other examples of or aspects of archaeology? Because I know she's not a very good archaeologist. She's not.
1: She's not. Actually, when I, when I teach Introduction to Archaeology, I, I teach at UC Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, UC Irvine, and in the past I've taught at San Francisco State University and the University of Wyoming. And in my opening class, my Intro to Archaeology class, I play through the opening level caves in Tomb Raider 1, and students usually laugh and say, Oh wow, that's really funny. Although over time, it's shifted from I remember playing that when I was little to Oh man, that was made before I was born, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> but we are old I, now. I asked them to point out what's right or wrong with the level and that leads into a lecture that i give called the seven myths of archaeology and there's seven things that pop culture display uh, pop culture portrayals of archaeology usually get wrong so archaeologists never work alone you never want to go in somewhere completely by yourself and also you need to ask permission of the local government of local people you really want it to be a collaborative project. So that's terrible. Laura <laughs> does
0: a bad job. She's not very good at that, no. No.
1: <laughs> archaeologists also don't seek treasure. They're trying to find out more about people's lives in the past. So treasures can tell us something about that, but treasure is really a modern concept. And so it might be more useful to look at potsherds and you know, stereotypically archaeologists are looking at boring potsherds But they're actually the things that tell us about people's everyday lives and what they were eating and drinking like we were talking about earlier with residues. One thing the game gets right is that archaeology doesn't just take place far away in deserts or remote jungles. Uh, Some of the most exciting archaeology that I've read about recently is places like London with rediscoveries of The Temple of Mithras or the Bloomsburg tablets, the Roman era letters that people were sending back and forth. And those are amazing windows into everyday life. And I think Tomb Raider, by bringing some of Lara's adventures to urban locations, is, you know, even though the the things she does there are probably not good ideas, she has a a terrible time at the... uh, British Museum. Uh, I don't know why she takes it out on those poor security guards, but uh, archaeology does take place all over the world. And it's not just ancient things either. So if Lara Croft is looking at at things from um, Renaissance Italy, or she's investigating the Nevada desert and Area 51, archaeology, since it's the study of the material past, can be any past. There are archaeologists who look at the US-Mexico border, for example, work of Jason de Leon, trying to reconstruct the lives of migrants from just days or months ago. And that's archaeology too. Uh, Archaeology also doesn't always involve excavation. And I guess Tomb Raider is really good at this because there's literally only one scene in the games where she picks up a shovel in Uh, the last revelation and digs underneath the Sphinx I other than that there's no excavation and in real life remote sensing and uh, survey and oral history there are all kinds of things that feed into archaeology that I are uh, things other than excavation the two other myths are that Uh, Aliens and Atlantis get brought up all the time. I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten into a cab or a lift, and they've discovered I'm an archaeologist, and then they start talking about Atlantis. And Tomb Raider, unfortunately, perpetuates this myth with very Eurocentric, very creepy mid-20th century origins. There was an obsession with Atlantis in Germany. Uh, And... Unfortunately, a lot of games, Assassin's Creed, Tomb Raider, lean pretty hard into these world-spanning mythologies that have no basis in the much more interesting, culturally contextual stories that we can learn. And then, of course, last but not least, uh, Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider both perpetuate the "it belongs in a museum" mentality, or in her basement, or in a ba- or in a basement with a. a Timed run. 1990s Tomb Raider is especially lacking in any kind of acknowledgement of living, ongoing cultural heritage or indigenous people. And uh, human, potentially ancestral bodies are often much more important as ancestors to be respected and buried for living cultures than they are as potential sources of information about the past. And if they are sources, it's something that should be done collaboratively. So looping that back to the very first myth that archeologists should never work alone.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the levels that you're building. What are you building at the moment? Right now I'm working on
1: a set of hopefully three levels that are set in India and they are kind of doubly nostalgic. I created two levels when I was a teenager. I released one in 2001 right after the level editor was released and it's terrible. But I, I called it Temple of Amarna because so many of the textures in Tomb Raider 4 are taken from art and artifacts from the city that Akhenaten created. Akhenaten was the father of Tutankhamun and is particularly notable because of his heretical ideas. he totally abandons the at that point already ancient religion of Egypt and starts worshiping uh, a, a sun god called Amun and it totally changes the art and the religion very briefly but it had such a huge aesthetic impact that a lot of the the archaeology that we think of as ancient Egyptian is actually based on this, a totally, radically different idea of art and religion that Akhenaten introduced. So the tutorial level that was released alongside the level editor used a bunch of textures that are from Amarna. And so even at that point, even though the level was awful, I had broken cameras and it was totally a copy of some of the architecture in, in the tutorial level. But I was a kid. I was just building it for the first time. But I did know that the art came from Amarna. So at least I, I built that in. But the second level that I made was set in India. Again, because I was already nostalgic for Tomb Raider 3. So the idea behind the level that I'm working on now is I'm using um, the the program Tomb Editor, which is the fan-created... Uh, resurrection of the level editor, which is an amazing aspect of the level building community right now. There are some incredible programmers who have been involved in updating the programs and creating things far beyond the capability of the original editor. And there's more, more to come soon. Uh, it's, it's a really exciting time to be involved in level editing. Uh, and that, that could, You could assemble an amazing panel of, of people to talk about it. But uh, the level that I'm working on starts off in the same setting as the level that I made when I was a kid, but then it branches off almost immediately. And it's kind of a what if, you know, this tree weren't there, and instead you could go into this part of the level that was just set decoration in the past. And that goes back to one of the things I loved about the, the early games. I loved finding ways to get to the end of the world. I love finding ways to get to the mountains in the Great Wall and hop onto the roof of one of the towers. Or in the demo version of South Pacific, of of Coastal Village, you could climb all the way down the ladder and then shimmy to the side, hang right at the edge and drop. And you could get to the base of the waterfall because there weren't spikes in the demo version. And I think they probably figured out you could do that because there are spikes in the, in the actual game, so you can't. But I, I love that kind of exploration, kind of one step beyond the secrets. So I also like building secrets into the level. So in this case, the, the level is based on the premise. What if you missed a secret in the first one? And actually that secret led to this whole adventure. It also draws on Hindu uh, stories and mythology. Uh, Durga is a goddess who uh, is a, a warrior. And so I, I can't think of a better pairing uh, mythologically for Tomb Raider than this this warrior goddess. So part of the level uh, draws inspiration from um, the story of Durga versus the um, asura called uh, Mahisha and their their battle with one another where Durga ultimately prevails. And also the, the story of Kalia. So the caves of Kalia for years, I thought that that was a reference to Kali, but Kaliya is a separate uh, figure in Hindu mythology and religion who is a, a multi-headed uh, cobra. And uh, it is a, a, a snake um, demon, kind of, and it poisons rivers. And so the second level is set entirely underground and all of the water has been poisoned. And so it involves... Lara trying to close the mouth of the, the giant snake statue so that the water is purified and she can get on to the final level.
0: That's awesome, that's really cool. Do you have, um, I guess, an estimated time when you will finish that? Uh, I am super slow. I've been working
1: on this one for the past three years. Level one is done, level three is about half done, and level two in the middle bridging the two is is super basic right now. So I'm hoping within a year, but it also depends on my teaching schedule, what UC Berkeley and UC Irvine assign for me to teach in the fall. I, hopefully I'll have some free time.
0: So we'll wrap things up today uh, at that little point. And I am fascinated by so much stuff that you've just said and would love to invite you back for another episode to talk more about Tomb Raider 4, 5, and 6 and other things to do with Tomb Raider and archaeology if you'd like to come back. I would love to. This has been a pleasure. This has been fantastic to have you. Where can people find you online to talk to you more about this subject?
1: Sure. So I, I should be listed on the lecturer faculty pages for San Francisco State, UC Berkeley, and UC Irvine. Uh, I'm happy to, happy to chat with you more. My email is uh, uh, cloman, L-O-W-M-A-N, at berkeley.edu. And so if you want to chat more about archaeology, then uh, feel free to get in touch.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chris. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Looking forward to it as well. Thank you.